We are going to continue our series this morning uh, called More Than Enough. And I want to start this morning with just a question for you. And I just want to see if, if you agree with this or not. Because maybe you will, maybe you won't. Hey, how are you? My pupils are dilated now. Um, here's a statement. Things that are loosely or poorly connected tend to cause problems. Would you agree with that statement? Things that are loosely or poorly connected generally tend to cause problems. This is what I mean by that. Physically, you can see this at work. And, and the thing that comes to my mind is teeth. Um, I remember um, my kids um, when they were losing their teeth. And they were all terrified of me pulling their teeth. Okay? Anybody in here? I'm a person, when, my, when, it, when there was a loose, if it was loose, I wanted it out of there as soon as possible. Okay? But I, I always admire the kids that are hanging on to the, that thing's like doing this in the front. They're playing with it with their tongue, but you can't touch it. That's, see, that's a natural kind of thing. But see, I always found when my, if I had a loose tooth, it was painful. Right? Like when it dangled in the wind, it was not pleasant. Okay? Um, when we go to Haiti, we see a lot of people that have never had tooth care in their, in their whole life. And, and it's, it's awful to see what they, the pain they go through. Not because of the natural progression of losing baby teeth and growing new ones, but just decay and disease and, and how long they hang on to something that should have been pulled a long time ago. And it just causes pain because it's not connected when the roots start to give way. We have a, a little yip dog named Charlie. Spawn of Satan, this dog is. Um, mean as anything. He must have been a meth baby. Um, I don't know if that's a thing for dogs. But his teeth have always been, like, as a puppy, we'd find his teeth laying all over the house. I came in the other day, and there was a tooth that long just laying on the couch. I thought it was a worm. It was so ugly. See, that thing had been in there, and he'd been trying to work it out for a week, and he'd been in pain. See, when the roots start to give way and things start to come loose physically, it causes problem. It causes pain. It's uncomfortable. In, in terms of communication, anybody ever get frustrated when you don't have a cell signal that's good enough for you to carry on a conversation? You kinda, you're kind of connected, but you're kind of not. It makes it difficult to hear. It makes it difficult to understand. Some of you pretend you have a poor signal when you don't want to have a conversation anymore. I know that's a thing, by the way, and it happens a lot when I tend to call people. I can't, oh, I'm not quite getting you, Mark. Oh, bad connection. When storms come through, you know what the first thing that you notice when a storm comes through? Everything that's not connected right. Everything that's loose. Everything that is not as strong as it should be. And this could be a physical storm. It could be an emotional storm. It could be anything that's not fastened, tethered, connected, causes, causes problems. And you know what, in storms, you know what I found? When, when things bust loose in storms, and like trees fall in storms, there's collateral damage. Other things get broken. Things nearby get broken when things are not connected the way they should be. In relationships, if you live your life without good friends, and you just have acquaintances, or, or loose affiliations, or associations. Some people see church membership this way. Like it's, it's like being in a club. If, if, that's, if, if that's as connected as you are, 
it's not reliable. Because you know what? If you're only loosely affiliated with people, you never really know who your friends are. You never know if you can count on them when things go bad. Because most of those relationships are just based on um, shared temporal convenience. Like you believe, right now, all these people are, t- are grouping up because of the election, right? These people can't stand each other. But to accomplish a goal, then we'll, we'll create alliances. Guys, loose affiliations, being loosely connected, is not a way to live a life. Because when you really need to know if it's going to be there, you don't know if it's going to hold up. Here's my question to you today. How connected do you feel to Jesus? Right now, in this moment, how connected do you personally feel to God? To, to, to things of faith, do they seem like they're really close or do they seem like they're a million miles away? I can't, I don't imply an answer to that question because I don't know. But my desire for all of you, and my des- I think the desire of the heart of God is for all of you to be connected, to feel connected. See, today I want us to explore this idea of what it means to be more connected to Jesus. Brock and I were driving around this week, and I just asked him the question, do you think it's, it's a, possible to be just kind of connected to Jesus? And he said, yeah, I, th- I think so. And I've, I've kind of struggled because I've, I think, well, either you are or you're not, you know, but it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And so I want to explore it a little bit today because I want you, each of you, to be able to trade in your mediocre, loose faith to a fully connected faith and walk in the freedom of that. That's what I want for my own life. It's what I want in my home, for my family, for my kids, for all of you to not settle for some mediocre, loose affiliation with God that may or may not hold up when the fire gets really hot. Does that make sense? See, Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come to give you life and life to the full, not just a kind of faith. And so that's what I want to explore. Y'all in for it? We're doing it anyway. I mean, as always, you, the, the door's over there when you get tired of me, okay? But I'm just going to keep talking until I'm finished. All right, I think there are at least three different kinds of connections to God, okay? Three different kinds, and that's just overly simplistic, but I'm just going to talk about three of them, okay? The first one is this. Everything and everyone that has ever existed is connected to God. In that, He is the Creator, right? He's the creator of everything. So we're all connected to God in that way. Humanity, people, men and women, boys and girls, we have an extra level of connection to God in that we were created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. There is a piece of God in each of you. It's that part of you that nothing in this world will ever fill. I think it's that thing that... that it's talked about in Ecclesiastes, where it's like, I, I, I have this eternity in my heart, and, and I, don't, I can't find anything to fill it except God. I think we are all image bearers of God. And because of that, regardless of your race, your culture, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, slave, free, Scythian, Greek, Jew, it doesn't matter. Every person walking around this earth is an image bearer of God, and therefore... They have intrinsic value. That's why we should value every life, everyone, period. But see, because of sin, because of what happened in the garden, relationally, we were separated from our Creator because of sin. 
And so then there was a second connection to God. Something had to happen to reconnect that relationship, okay? And so we can be connected to God personally, I mean, positionally, in the same family, in the same citizens of the same kingdom, by being invited into his family, okay? See, the whole narrative of the Bible is the story of God redeeming what sin ruined in the Garden of Eden. See, God chose in the Old Testament one particular people. In fact, one family, one man named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a great nation out of your, your family. And he made a covenant promise with them that if they would follow his laws, he would be their God, they would be his people. But guess what? They failed over and over and over and over again. That's the whole Old Testament. So God's making provisions in, the, in this redemptive story that most of you are scared to read because it's, it's written really in funny words and by a bunch of guys in a culture we're not familiar with, but they start telling visions of things God's telling them about a Messiah's coming. God's going to send a way to fix the whole thing. See, Jesus is whispered of in the Old Testament, but he's shouted about in the New Testament. And so in the New Testament we find that Jesus did indeed come to make all things new. And see, in that story, we find out that Jesus was going to pay the price for that sin. And He was going to make a way for us to be found in Christ. He was going to fulfill all those rules, and He was going to give us a much simpler way to live. But much harder, because the standard of grace means that we have to live like Jesus lived. And so God makes this new covenant with this new group of people, and it's not just one specific culture, not one specific race. No, it's everyone is invited to the table as long as you're found in Christ. Being found in Christ is a beautiful thing, guys. You don't want to be found anywhere but in Christ when you stand before the throne. And so all who accept the gift of forgiveness and salvation offered by the death burial and resurrection of Jesus, you're found in Christ. You're invited in, you're adopted into God's family, and you're connected to God in a totally different way. You don't get it by joining a church. You don't get it by being good. You don't get it by keeping rules. Behavior modification won't get you there. Only joining Jesus gets you there. And it's the most important connection any of us will ever make. And if they're... And they're in a room this size, there are some people listening to me right now who are not connected to Jesus in that way. May today be the day that you realize that this story can be your story. You can be connected to Him personally, but it's not a finish line. See, I think so many people walk around thinking, oh, I've got Jesus. It's my spirituality. It's done. I mean, I'm just in Christ. That's, no, it's the starting point. It's the starting point where everything else starts to take shape and it's what I want to talk to you about today because there's a third connection. There's a third connection with Jesus. And this is the one I want us to explore because it's the one that if we're found in Christ, there's an extra level of connection that we just sang about. I want to be tethered to your grace. I want to be in your presence. I want to be in awe of you. I want to walk closely with you. See, this connection, people, is based on two things. Probably a lot more than that. I'm going to talk about two. First is proximity. Being close to Him, okay? Proximity. And then intimacy of relationship. See, you can be connected to God. You can be in the family, but you can feel totally disconnected. And that's 
If some of you are being honest with yourself today, that's, you'd say that. Let me, let me explain it this way. My wife Angie's right here. Um, we have four children. Um, they're all beautiful. They're all, they've, being their parents has been one of the greatest joys of our life. Um, when they were little, and if you know my wife at all, you know she would back this up, and uh, there was nothing better in her life than when all of her kids were little and they were at home and they were, she had control of every part of their lives. I mean, she was involved in their school, in their church, the, the people they played with, everything about their lives was wrapped up in mom and dad. And we loved it that way. But you know what happens? They grow up. They decide to start having lives of their own. Like, their world expands beyond their parents, and one by one they grow up and they, and they leave. And finally they're starting to bring it back around. Appreciate that very much. Um, had to throw that in there. But as they, as they moved further away from their parents, it didn't make them any less our children. Right? Positionally, they're still as much our children as they ever were, but their lives are not as close to us as they once were. It's kind of the same way with our spiritual walk. We can be children of God, but when we, when we start growing up and, and exploring different things, sometimes we find ourselves as, as children of God who feel like we live a million miles away from Him. Does that make sense? Guys, my fear for so many people in the church today is that we're settling for the, just wearing the family name. But... We're not walking intimately with our Father anymore. See, we still love our children. We'll have lunch after church today, and we'll have crazy conversations, and there'll be movie quotes, and, and Kenzie will get embarrassed a couple of times. But it's what we do to pursue intimate conversations with the people we love. It doesn't happen naturally. It, it does, if, you, if we don't pursue it, it won't happen. It's the same way with our spiritual walk. See, I think... So many people settle for that loose affiliation and they kind of walk around kind of embarrassed because they feel like they know they're not intentionally seeking God enough and so they just kind of hide back and they settle for this painful, uncomfortable, loose connection to God. Kind of like a tooth that's just barely hanging on and every time it moves, that, that nerve, you feel it. And so when you think about faith, you think about church, some of you, if you're honest, it's not a, it's not a great feeling because you just feel guilty. I think some of you are, are having a hard time hearing his voice. Like you read the Bible maybe and you just don't understand it. And it's like you have that poor cell phone connection. Like you, you, the connection to him is so staticky that you can't understand what he's saying to you. I think some of you might have a faith that's just taking a beating in the storms. And maybe some of your, your faith has toppled over like that tree and has fallen on something close to you and there's collateral damage and, and pain. Don't settle for that. I think some of you have found yourself questioning your faith because it's never been any more than a, anything more than a loose affiliation. And when, when you read something in the Scripture that it, it, it bumps up against a sin in your life that you're not willing to face, then you'd rather just shut it down because you know your faith doesn't have what it takes to stand up against it. Guys, more, more, more is possible. Can, can you hear me say that today? That, you don't have to settle for that kind of faith. It won't, you can't ride out a storm in that. 
You can't make it to the finish line and experience life and life to the full with that kind of faith. You can make it. You can limp all the way home. You can be miserable the whole way. But is that how you want to live your life? So we're going to look at the Scripture today to see what the Scripture says. Are we okay with that? John chapter 15 is where we're going to be. This is probably a really familiar passage, but as I was looking for a, something to, to really focus on this idea of being connected to God and what it means, you can't get much clearer than this, but this is a, a widely misinterpreted passage. It's one of the scariest passages in all of the Bible if you don't know what it's really saying. And so I'm hoping that maybe today, I taught this a couple of years ago when we did the Red Letter series, and so... Um, I talked about it a lot more back then than I'm going to talk about it now, but um, there's a couple of words in this passage that, that I think uh, maybe we'll get a better understanding of today and it will make some more, more sense. So John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. And this is what the Word says. Jesus is speaking here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch He that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, period. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that, by, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whether you ask, whatever you ask for my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray over the word. God, I pray that you would, uh, you would clear up some confusion about, about your heart in this. Show us what's true. Show us what lines up with, with the Father's heart. I don't want people to live in fear of things they don't need to be afraid of. And so I, I, I just contend for a, for a biblically sound understanding of this text. And I pray that you would uh, somehow use my feeble words to communicate your heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the context of this passage. This took place the night before Jesus is crucified. Okay, if you read like John 13 through about John 18, those are all the events of that last night of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. 
Only the 11 disciples were with him. Judas was already gone, okay? He had already left. He'd been exposed as the betrayer. And he, he, had, he had left. Jesus had washed their feet. They'd had that upper room experience. They have just left the upper room, and they're walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? We can't know for sure, but it makes sense to me, and I've read other people write about this, that it's very possible that they actually walked through a vineyard on the way to the garden. And in that vineyard, it's very likely that Jesus, as he's talking about the vine, he's actually looking at a vine and the branches. And this is an object lesson. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you, how you learn. That's, if somebody shows me something, it's so much better than them telling me about it over and over and over again. I think that's what Jesus did right here. And so as we look at this passage, keep that picture in your mind. And there are just a couple of main characters in this story. And let's see who they are so we know exactly who we're talking about. In verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. So who is the true vine? Who is I? Jesus is the true vine. Okay, also in verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. So my father would be God, right? The vine dresser, he's, he's, he's the guy that cares for the vineyard. He's the one growing the grapes and making the wine, okay? Then look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Who is you? Hmm? Okay, who was there? Only 11 disciples. No one else is around, okay? He's talking to people who already believe in him, okay? And I know that because it says right there in verse 2, every branch in me, right? They're already in him. Every branch, all 11 of you, all, all these branches are part of that vine. He says he is that vine. Every branch in me, believers. He says to them in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Already you are clean. That word clean, it's the, it's the Greek word katharos, and it means purified by fire, blameless, innocent, unstained by guilt. He's saying to them, before he tells them this story, you are the branches, and you're already clean because of the word. That word is the Greek word logos. That is the same word for the word made flesh. Okay? He says, you're already clean. And now I'm going to tell you a story about these branches, which represents all of you. See, Jesus is talking to people who are already clean, and every branch in this story was already clean. You've probably never heard it taught like that, because some, some pretty scary stuff happens to some of these branches. But does it really? If we really look at, at what it says here, maybe we can see it differently. Because if you remember this, that he says you're already clean because of the word I've spoken. Not because you did anything. It doesn't have anything to do with you. He goes on and says, I chose you. He's talking to people. That, that he wants them to know who they are. And some of you need to remember who you are. See, if we look at this in this way, that Jesus has made them clean nothing they had done, then it makes sense why Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not by works. Salvation is not by works. Keep telling yourself that, okay? Remind yourself of that. Dave Diamond, remind yourself it's not by works because even if you do exactly what it says in this story and you just abide in Christ, wouldn't abiding be a work? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't growing fruit be a work? You can't get there that way. Jesus is the one holding on to us. It's not us holding on to him. And he makes, he makes you clean. You can't do it yourself. And so here's another important question with this. And because this, this is like, I don't expect all of you to agree with me. People have been arguing about this stuff for generations and generations. But here's, that's really important to me. For you to have the, the security of knowing that, that God is holding on to you. And if, if Jesus has already made you clean, can, that, can you do anything to make yourself unclean? Oh, you can mess up your life in a lot of ways, but can you undo what Christ has already done? John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus says, I will not lose one of those my Father has given me. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit seals us and guarantees our redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says it this way, In Him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word logos of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Guys, how do you explain that away? How can you say, if God, if you're that good, then I can be bad enough to mess it all up? It's just, it's, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I think you can be confident that once you are His, He says He's not going to lose you. He's not going to lose you. And you can be confident that if you're His, you're not going to be cast into hell, even if this, this passage mentions fire. It has to mean something else. So if, if the you in this story are believers, and they are, then all the branches in this story, even the ones that look like they came off Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, and they're not real pretty, and maybe they're struggling there's still branches in him. So in order for that to make sense, we've got to deal with like three words in this passage. Just three words that are translated one way, but could have been translated another way, and it might make more sense, okay? Three words. Can we do three words? First word is in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. That doesn't sound good, does it? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's the Greek word, iro. If you look that word up in the Greek lexicon dictionary, there are four definitions. Four different definitions. The first three of those definitions all deal with lifting something up, raising something up, or pulling something up. The fourth definition, which was unfortunately, I think, used, is translated right here, says take away. Three out of four of these words say lift up, raise up, pull up. But here it was translated, takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Could that be right? 
He's standing in a vineyard. He's looking at a vine. He's looking at branches possibly laying on the ground. And he says, hey, there's no, there's no fruit on this branch. Do you think he just threw it? No, it's, maybe he lifted it up. Why would you do that? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't grow grapes. But as I read about it, I find out that you know what they do? The new branches grow close to the ground. And so the vine dresser will lift them up and they'll tie them to a trellis. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen a vineyard? California country. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Could it be that he's not just lopping it off, throwing it away, but he's actually lifting it up and he's caring for it? That seems like the heart of God to me. That if we're a branch in him and he sees that we're struggling, he's going to lift us up. He's going to try to help. The second word is also in verse 2. It's the word prune. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. See, that that word prune, it can mean lop off. Like, that's a real thing. I mean, it's it's a gardening technique to make the plant stronger. But it can also mean something else. It can also mean to clean. See, that word right there, it's... It's got that same word, iro, that we just talked about, but it's a little different. It's the word kathiro, and it means to clean, but it, means, it can mean to clean in a lot of different ways. See, both of those definitions could be accurate. It could be appropriate, because that vine dresser, he, he, he might lift up that low-hanging branch and clean the mud off of the fruit so that, so that it can grow. This is also the same word, and I thought this was really interesting. It's the same word used in John chapter 13 that they used to say that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He cleaned their feet. He didn't prune their feet. They might have needed it, but it says He washed them. He cl- could, could it be that Jesus is saying, hey, every branch in me that doesn't have, bear fruit, I'm going to lift it up. And every branch that, in me that needs to be cleaned, I'm going to do whatever it takes to clean it. Third one is the, is the big one, though. We find it in verse 6. In verse 6, this is the scary one. This is the one, if, if you've read this, I read this as a kid, and it, scared, it made me scared of God. That's just honest. Because I didn't want to be that branch that was cut off, thrown away, and thrown into a fire. Does that match up with the heart of God? That a branch in Him is going to be thrown into the fire, burn in hell forever? Maybe not. See that word in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Two throwings there. Two throwings. It's thrown away and then thrown into a fire. See, that word is the word balo. And it can mean to just drop something and not care where it goes. It can mean that. But it can also mean to intentionally put into or insert. Okay, if... If this branch, if this bad branch that's not growing anything, if, if, is it possible that for that branch is good, maybe it's not, this is not a picture of eternal judgment. Maybe it's a picture of a different kind of fire, like the one talked about in Psalms chapter 66, which is called the refiner's fire. 
Could it be possible that this is a picture of Jesus taking a branch that needs to be purified and intentionally putting it into that fire for its own good? Guys, if, if we could look at those three words in that way, and we agree that Jesus says, this is a story about every branch in me, then maybe we can all find ourselves in this story and we don't have to be afraid because we know it's, it's all for our good. See, I think there are four categories of people, branches, believers, described in this story. And all of you, with the exception of maybe the abiding one, the, the, the fourth one, where we're just, we're just busting at the seams, I think we're all still trying to get there, right? I mean, and if you, that's, that's God's goal for all of us. But it starts with the ones with no fruit, some fruit, this is deep stuff. More fruit and much fruit. No fruit, a little fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What's the difference? See, I think that when I read that in a vineyard, the new branches, the new branches, they grow close to the ground. And those are the ones that he's lifting up. I think that might just be describing a new believer. A believer who you've come to Christ, you're still learning. You don't know how to be a Christian yet. You're still learning and there's not much fruit. It's maybe, maybe it's a picture of that first step, those first steps of discipleship. When you're still, you still got Jesus in you, but you're still living like the world because he didn't erase all, this, all those bad behaviors. Does that make sense? You might not have much fruit if that's who you are. But see, then that, that, one, that next one that has some fruit... I think a lot of people are just really good at self-hatred. Like, you, you can look in the mirror and you can find a million ways to hate yourself. But if that's you today, and spiritually you beat yourself up, I want you to think with me. Can you think back to any time in your life where you felt God's pleasure on your life? Where you've seen the fruits of Jesus coming out of you in any way? I would challenge everyone who's who's come to know Christ, there has to be something you can draw from. And just because you mess up and you struggle and life is hard doesn't mean that you're not on the road you're supposed to be on. See, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 talk about the discipline of God. He disciplines His children because He loves His children. And that might feel like cleaning up some areas of your life that maybe you don't want people messing with. See, the, he cleans the branch so it can grow more fruit. Are there some things in your life maybe that you know you need to deal with you just hadn't dealt with? See, how long we stay in that season of discipline depends on how stubborn we are. He, God's more than content to let you get out of that pit at your own pace. But when you start cooperating with him and being willing to say, God, this part of me, I need you to help clean me up. I need, just like Jesus washed the disciples' feet, God, what, could you wash me? Remember, you're already clean. The, the hard work's already been done. He can help you clean this stuff up. I think that's the second one, the third one, that more fruit. You know, I think you don't prune baby plants. If you, if you prune a baby plant, there's nothing left, Right? Pruning is for a more mature branch. So, and it's also being done so you'll grow more fruit. There are some, some people who have been walking with Jesus a long time in this room. 
And I bet every one of them would testify, it never gets easy. And there's always pain involved in growing so you can grow more fruit. It's not a bad place to be. And there's wisdom in not being bitter at God when it happens. And then there's that last one. The last category, much fruit. Abiding in Him. Much fruit. It's the Greek word mano. It means to remain. Just to be present. To be held or kept. See, there's, there's a secret to growing much fruit. And it's remaining as close to the vine as possible. But is there a secret to abiding? What if there was a secret? How many of you would love to do that? God, I sign me up for that. I want to abide. I mean, wouldn't you, who wouldn't want to? What's the secret? What if Jesus tells us the secret right here? We get the answer in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Oh, anything but that. Oh, rules. But wait, is that really what Jesus is talking about? Maybe it's not. See, a couple chapters earlier, in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That's how the world will know you're my disciples. It's like they've been, these guys have been living their whole life under the law. And Jesus says, a new commandment. This is brand new. Just love people the way that I love you. Why do I feel so strongly about it? Well, he says it again right here in John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Then they lay down their lives. for their. He was about to lay down his life. That's how he was going to love them. Guys, it's, could it be that simple? Remember Jesus says, abide in my love like I abide in my Father's love. I keep my Father's commandments. You keep mine. Think about that. Jesus was about to go to the cross to fulfill the law. Every commandment the Father had ever given, Jesus perfectly fulfills. And he says, if you want to abide in my love like I abide in my Father's love, keep my commandment. Here's my commandment. Love one another like I'm loving you. Guys, what if that really is, what if the fruit that we're supposed to grow really is just love? Didn't Paul describe the fruit of the Spirit as love? And you'll say, well, oh no, Pastor Mark, wait, no, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Yeah, but go back and read it again. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Not fruits. The fruit. And there's some commentators that say it this way. They think all those other attributes describe what love is. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, and there's joy in that. And there's peace in that. And there's patience in that. And there's kindness in that. And goodness and faithfulness. Am I making it up? Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul describes love. And what does he say? And I quote, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, boast, 
It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Sounds like joy to me. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. What if it really is that simple, people? That the secret to abiding is loving people like Jesus loves us. That the fruit that he's looking for is loving people like Jesus loved us. It's not a list of a million rules. It's simply loving people, doing what he did for us. Let me bring it home for you. Been married to my wife for 32 years. Who nailed it. Um, there are seasons of our life that we do marriage better than others. And if you're honest with yourself and you're married, <laughs> then you, you probably agree with that. But when I do it well, when I do marriage well, there are some things that are common no matter what season you're in. I found out the things she cares about, and I try to care about them too. I find out the things that are important to her, and I try to make those things happen. I try to be intentional about pursuing her and making her know that I want to be close to her. I'm constantly trying to update her list of favorite things so I can try to fill her life with those things. I treasure the intimate times, the intimate things that I know about her that no one else knows. And I treasure the fact that I don't have to tell anybody that. Guys, there's not much different in us, our pursuit of God. If we're going to love like that, you know, is, there, is it a coincidence that, that Paul describes the relationship the marriage relationship as a picture of how Christ loves the church. And he tells us to love each other that way. Guys, if we're going to pursue intimate connection and proximity to Almighty God, the way we get there is loving people the way Jesus loved us. It's, it really can be that simple. And why is it important? Because Jesus said, hey, I'm telling you this, not because I want to beat you up, not because I want to make you feel bad, because I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. Guys, do you want joy? Do you want to bear much fruit? Do you want to have something that's bigger than this loose, unreliable faith that you're not sure if you're connected to them or not? Guys, it starts with love. Pray with me. Father, I... For whatever reason, this, this passage has stirred me up for the past couple of weeks. And this, this idea of just feeling bad that I don't feel as close to you as I want to. And just hanging out there instead of simply reading your word and saying, oh yeah, it's about loving people the way you love me. So if I just give myself away... And I just do the next right thing, like we keep saying. And all this rule stuff and all legalism, and all, it'll take care of itself, God. A new commandment I give you. Just love people like I loved you. God, let us be a church that just keeps beating that drum, that keeps trying to show up when people need us, show up when they don't even want us to be there, and just love them anyway. God, I pray that that kind of love would, would flood over some marriages in this room that some prodigals might come home because they experienced that kind of love from their parents. 
that some people might get a new mirror, get rid of that old one and, and what they think they see there and start seeing themselves the way you see them. That your joy might be in us and our joy might be full. God, let us not settle for that mediocre stuff anymore. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together in response to the word.